Turn with me to the Gospel of John and uh, look at chapter 4 this morning, John chapter 4. We're going to look at the first uh, nine verses. John chapter 4. Actually from verses 1 through 42 is really one unit. And um, if I can draw your attention to that last part of verse 42, that's really kind of the theme of this entire unit here where Jesus is the Savior of the world. John chapter 4 verse 42, Jesus is the Savior of the world. And within that larger unit, there's uh, uh, smaller sections as we work our way through it to try and uh, understand this theme about uh, Jesus being the Savior of the world. And Verses 1 through 9, we're, we're going to be looking at this theme of how Jesus breaks barriers to reach people. Uh, if you're a Christian, this is a very familiar portion of Scripture. This is uh, Jesus' encounter with the uh, the Samaritan woman. It's interesting, um, uh, through the flow of John so far, the kind of encounters Jesus had in John chapter 3, we saw Jesus having an encounter with Nicodemus. Um, here was the Nicodemus, a man of um, uh, high status, uh, socially speaking, a very religious man, a Pharisee, as well as a ruler of the uh, uh, council of uh, the Jews there, a uh, man with a known name. And in John 4 here we find... Um, a Samaritan woman. We, we, we are not even given her name. A woman of low status. Uh, two different extremes uh, from John 3 to John 4. Yet, uh, both of these people had one thing in common. They both needed new birth. They both needed Jesus. And uh, Jesus breaks all kinds of barriers in order to proclaim the gospel. Uh, when uh, the Samaritans say later on that he's the savior of the world, uh, and we can amen to that because we know he's the savior of the world because he does not have any type of partiality in terms of who he needs to offer himself to. And throughout uh, uh, from chapter 2, we've been seeing Jesus offering himself to the people at Galilee through that uh, wine miracle in uh, Cana there. So they get a taste of who Jesus is, the Messiah in John 3. Not only Nicodemus, but uh, pretty much all of uh, Jerusalem through that uh, Passover week get a taste of Jesus being the Messiah through the signs he does there. And now in John 4, uh, Samaria or at least one village in Samaria gets a taste of Jesus being the Messiah uh, through this uh, woman's testimony. And no wonder when Jesus said in Acts 1.8, the commission is given to the apostles as well as us, take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and all ends of the earth. So Jesus himself uh, modeled this to help us understand that uh, the whole world needs a savior, and that savior is Jesus Christ. A little historical background of uh, John 4, so you understand uh, the setting of this. This between the Jews and the Samaritans, there's a lot of tensions. Who are the Samaritans? So if, you, if you don't know, hopefully you'll get to know who they are. They're basically half-breed Jews. Roll the clock back to uh, uh, that, that, that's what they were called. They were, they were half-breed, half-Jew, half-pagans. Um, if you roll the clock back to uh, about uh, 800 BC, uh, Israel is a uh, past state now. There was, uh, let me roll it even back 200 years prior to that, 1000 BC, around that time when uh, David was the king. All the 12 tribes are united under David. But when David dies, Solomon takes over the kingship. And basically in Solomon's time, the, all the 12 tribes are living in peace. There's no war during Solomon's time. But because of... Uh, Solomon's uh, uh, life 
including David's uh, disobedience with uh, Bathsheba and so forth, uh, judgment comes. And the twelve tribes now are broken. Uh, the United Kingdom is broken into two kingdoms, the Northern Kingdom, which constituted ten tribes who had their capital as Samaria. First Kings 16.24 talks about King Omri, named that as the capital. And then the remaining two tribes, Judah and Bethlehem, form as one unit. They're called as the Southern Kingdom. And Jerusalem was their capital city. And in 722 BC, the ten tribes, the Northern Kingdom, were uh, basically uh, defeated, taken over by the Assyrian Kingdom. Assyria is in modern day Iraq now. And what Assyria does in 722 BC is they take a lot of the Jews and move them to Iraq and bring some of their people from other nations whom they had already con conquered, brought them into uh, the northern kingdom. Basically that way they would bring their culture and there was mixing of uh, paganism with uh, Judaism. And in 586 BC, 150 years later, the southern kingdom, they were conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. And they were also taken, actually from 605 BC, from Daniel's time, they were also moved to Assyria and uh, Babylon brought some of their people into the southern kingdom as well. During the return, during Zerubbabel's time and Nehemiah's time, the Jews are returning back to rebuild the temple and the walls and so forth. And as they are coming back, the southern kingdom, when they were taken to Assyria or to Babylon, most of them still kept their Jewish race intact. They did not intermarry. But the northern kingdom had already intermarried. And so the southern kingdom looked down upon them because they were mixed breed. They, they felt that these are apostates and uh, they considered them as unclean. And when they came back, the southern kingdom did not involve the northern kingdom people even in the rebuilding of the temple. They said, no, you're unclean. We don't want you to be involved. So about 400 BC, the southern kingdom, they built their own temple, similar to the temple in Jerusalem. It was like a rival temple. They were offering sacrifices and everything over there. It's in Mount Gerizim. We'll actually look at that a little more in detail as we progress through John 4 later on. So there was animosity and in 128 BC, a ruler from Judea, a man by the name John Hyrcanus, he went along with his forces and destroyed the temple in Samaria. And they, but they were still continued to offer worship in that mountain there. A lot of tensions happening during this period. And that's the setting where Jesus is at right now. There's a lot of animosity. Samaritans were not considered as really Jews. And, uh, and to add to it, the Samaritans only viewed the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, what Moses wrote, only that as scripture. rest of the Old Testament, they did not subscribe to. So there's a lot of that uh, stuff going on. Um, in fact, uh, uh, the, the common people were influenced so much by the rabbis in terms of even animosity towards the uh, Samaritans. She listened to some of these quotes by some of the rabbis uh, of that day. They said, He that eats bread of the Samaritans is like one who eats flesh of swine. As you know, the Jews were forbidden to eat pork. Uh, so, anyone who would eat food from the Samaritans were considered uh, defiled. And then in one of the common Jewish prayers was this, Lord, don't remember Samaritans in the resurrection. In other words, don't give mercy to them. Judge them. In fact, Orthodox Jews, they avoided traveling through Samaria when they had to travel to Galilee. But the regular Jews, they did not have so much of a problem. Um, they would still travel through Samaria. 
So that gives you an idea, a lot of hatred uh, between the two, two groups, and here comes Jesus now. He doesn't care about any of these things. His only goal, offer salvation to all people. And that should be our goal as well. To take the gospel, that last song we sang, freely, freely. We receive freely, we share freely to all kinds of people. Irrespective of what color they are, irrespective of what language they speak, irrespective of what nationality, doesn't matter. We are. If we say we're followers of Jesus, we got to do the same thing what Jesus did and what the apostles were commissioned to do and what they did. And that commission is timeless, which means it affects you and me as well. So with that in mind, uh, let's look at uh, John 4. First of all, look at verses 1 through 3. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now the Pharisees, as we saw in John 1, they were like the religious police. Any type of religious movement, they wanted to make sure what is going on. They, they were always were checking out everything that is happening. So they, here they find out that Jesus is gaining more disciples than John the Baptist. They've already checked out John. Now they're monitoring uh, Jesus' uh, movement. Uh, although verse 2 says, uh, uh, Jesus himself did not baptize but his, but his disciples. If you recall in John 1, John the Baptist said, Jesus' baptism is superior. In the sense, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I only baptize with water. Here Jesus is, through the agency of his apostles, or his disciples, he was administering the baptism, but he himself was not baptizing. It was a similar baptism like John's baptism, preparing people for the Christian baptism, if you will, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, as uh, these tensions, possible tensions are rising, Jesus is leave, leaving Judea for, for the time being. He's going back to Galilee, where there won't be so much of political or religious tensions there. So he leaves the place there in verse 4 says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now I know much literature has been written about that phrase, he had to go. Uh, now let me give you both views and then uh, uh, state where, where, where I stand really, because I think both are true. Uh, a, lot of, a lot has been made of he had to go, that there was no other choice for Jesus but to go. I don't think so. Because Josephus, one of the church historians of that time, as well as other literature, clearly tell us a normal Jew, when he was traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee, would go through Samaria. Because the trip from Jerusalem to Galilee through Samaria was a three-day trip. Now, if you wanted to avoid Samaria, you go through again through Judea, then cross over the Jordan, hit through Perea, and then come back into Judea and then go to uh, Samaria as another day and a half extra. And keep in mind, these are the times when people walked. So the normal people, normal Jew, would go through Samaria. So this was not necessarily a divine necessity. This was a geographical necessity as well. Now having said that, let me also quickly add, obviously with his encounter with the Samaritan woman, this could indicate divine necessity. I'm saying both could be true. Because at the end of the day, Every single event in our lives is ordained under the sovereign hand of God, no matter what. So we need to understand that as well. It's all part of God's sovereign plan. Jesus went through that. But the bottom line that I want to emphasize is this. Jesus did not care 
about all these type of racial prohibitions or traditions and so forth that was common during that day. He was willing to break all barriers to reach souls. Verse 5, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Uh, the town Sychar is never addressed in the Old Testament. Uh, pretty much commentators agree that this is a, a city called Askar today, which is near Mount Ebal and Mount uh, uh, Gerizim. And the plot of ground that is referred to here is in Genesis 48:22, where Jacob uh, gives that plot of uh, land to Joseph and uh, interesting uh, that's the place uh, uh, later on uh, uh, where Joseph's bones are buried according to Joseph 24 and verse 32 close by there um, when the people entered into the promised land uh, and verse 6 uh, we find Jacob's well was there despite no Old Testament record of Jacob digging a well probably a tradition but it's interesting that well is even there today it's, it's over 100 feet deep it was a well that's uh, uh, well known and here is Jesus uh, coming tired as he was from the journey because he would have probably started at daybreak it's noon right now six hours walking he's tired from the journey he sat down by the well again John records for us Jesus' humanity as a human he was hungry he was tired and here he is thirsty and here's the woman coming when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now typically women did not come alone to get water. And that too they would not come at noon time. Because they wanted to avoid the heat of the day. They would come either early in the morning or in the evening. This woman, by coming alone, and that too at noon, it's quite possible she did not fit in with the crowd. And later you see why she could not fit in with the crowd because she was an immoral woman. A woman of very low character. Probably people ridiculed her, put her down, shunned her. So she avoided group. She avoided people contact. She comes by herself. She definitely was not seeking God when she came that day. But here's the Messiah. Here's the Messiah comes seeking her. Like Luke 19 says, Jesus comes to seek and to save that which is lost. And not only does he come seeking, he's the one who's initiating the contact. Will you give me a drink? A seemingly innocent question from our perspective, but not so. But not so. We need to understand a little more of the historical background here. I already talked about some of the tensions between the Samaritans and the Jews. But you also need to understand how women in general were perceived during this time. Number one, women were considered inferior. Strict rabbis would not even greet women in public. In fact, even if they were to walk with their wives, they would leave their wives behind and they would walk ahead. And in fact, some orthodox Jewish uh, uh, rabbis in public, when they saw women, they would close their eyes and walk and they would bump their head into walls and buildings. In fact, they were called as bruised and bleeding Pharisees. There was a rabbi by the name Rabbi Jose ben Yohanan of Jerusalem. This is what he wrote. He that talks much with womankind brings evil on himself and neglects the study of the law and at last will inherit Gehenna. End quote. So if you talk much with a woman, you're risking going to hell. Gehenna is another picture of the lake of fire. There's another ancient rabbinic prayer that says, 
Blessed art thou, O Lord, who has not made me a woman. So you understand, that's the perspective here. That's the mindset toward women. In fact, a woman, along with the tax collector, were not considered as a valid witness in a court of law. If it was only one woman and she was a witness to a murder, she could not be called to court as a witness. So you understand how women are... That's not it. This person is a woman, but also is a Samaritan woman. Here's another quote of how Samaritan women were considered. Daughters of the Samaritans are deemed unclean as menstruants from their cradle. Meaning unclean. In the Old Testament, when women had their periods, they were considered unclean. So, Samaritan women, from childhood, those girls were considered unclean. So, anything naturally they touched would be rendered unclean. Yet Jesus comes and asks a woman, a Samaritan woman, would you give me a drink? That's huge. That's huge in that culture of the day. It's very huge. It's, it's something like this. I come from a background because if let us just jump over to verse 9 and then I'll pick a little more up here. Notice verse 9 that the woman is shocked in a way. So she says to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then look at that little note there. It says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Look at the footnote if you're following in an IV. The footnote captures, pretty much almost all commentators agree. The footnote captures it well where it says, they do not use dishes Samaritans have used. That's the idea. The idea is, because a Samaritan is considered unclean, anything they touch is unclean, especially all the vessels that carry the uncleanness so they would not touch. This is the idea that shocks the woman. How are you asking me for a drink? Now, some of you may not understand these, these tensions, but someone like myself, who comes from a Hindu background in India, we can understand part of this. Because the background I come from, which was considered like the priestly class, we in our homes would have separate utensils for those who are non-Brahmins. They would come. Because they are considered defiled and you don't give them the same vessels you use. Strict Brahmins even to this day follow that. Not all, but strict ones because they considered them unclean. So you give them separate dishes. Something like this, if you can relate to picture 1950s, 1960s US. A white man in southern US, like Mississippi, going into a black family and having a meal with them. It still may not get the full picture, but that's the kind of idea. For Jesus to ask that, it's like saying he's, she thinks, you're going to become unclean by touching me. She does not understand. Whatever Jesus touches becomes clean. <laughs> She, she does not know that yet. And Jesus is going to work with her as he uh, moves along. Jesus didn't care. That's why he even sent his disciples into the town to buy food. So he was not caught up with all these type of, these type of things. He was breaking all barriers to offer her himself. That's what he was doing. Because later when he says, you know, if you knew the gift of God, what's the gift? Him, himself. And through him, the Holy Spirit will come into hearts of those who repent and believe and living waters will flow. But we'll see that 
another attempt. This morning I just want to focus on are we like Jesus willing to break barriers to reach people? That's the idea. Jesus broke all barriers. We should have the same heart. That means getting out of our comfort zone. That means at times risking being misunderstood. Jesus broke barriers here. Talk to a woman, one of low reputation. As side note here folks, a lot of critics attack the New Testament as being very negative towards women, putting women down. First woman, actually first person to whom Jesus revealed is the Messiah, not to even his own people, to this Samaritan woman. And to the first person Jesus appears after his resurrection is a woman, Mary Magdalene. Paul does not put down women either. He lists many names of women who helped him in the ministry. Yes, there are roles for women. The Bible prescribes that, no doubt about it. But in God's sight, spiritually so to speak, we're all equal. We're all absolutely equal. And Jesus, by associating himself with the outcasts, sinners, had no problem. He had no problem when people called him friend of sinners. In fact, in John 8, 48, the Pharisees will attack him by saying, you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed. By calling him a Samaritan, they're saying you're unclean. You're not a Jew. You've rebelled against God. He didn't care. He didn't care about what people thought or how people named him. And he constantly called his followers to have that kind of a mindset. Look at Luke chapter 9. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And they had to go through a Samaritan village. Perhaps not the same one, but another one. In Luke 9, uh, it's a Pick up the story from verse 52. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And the disciples, James and John, saw this. Notice their response. Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That's, that's their attitude. But, says Jesus, rebuked them. That's the idea. He said, no, that, that's, that should not be the kind of spirit you have. He rebukes them. And then look at Luke 10, following Luke 9, verse 25. That very familiar parable. What's that parable? Parable of a good Samaritan. Who does Jesus use as an example? <laughs> as one loving neighbors as yourself. He uses a Samaritan. I wonder if this was also told for the benefit of the disciples. Hey, you guys have so much animosity towards Samaritans. But in God's sight, that's not, that should not be the case. I know this, was, this parable was in response to a question that was posed. But a lot of times in Jesus' parables, it was not just given to a question asked for the unbeliever's sake, but also for his own disciples. It was very well the case. The disciples may not have gotten the point right away, but eventually they did. Because after the day of Pentecost, they did take the gospel to Samaria and all other places. In fact, they gave their lives for that very fact. What about Paul? A very strict Jew. You want to see his Jewish resume? Read Philippians 3. He says, I was the cream of the crop there in Judaism. But when God changes him, when the gospel changes him, notice in 1 Corinthians 9 what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 9 and verses 19 and following. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Page 1149 in the Church Bible. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He says, look, I am I'm free. I can do whatever I want because I am set free in Christ. But 
I am making myself a slave for the sake of the gospel. To win, please notice that phrase to win, how many times it appears, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, that's the Jews, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I have become like one not having the law, that's the Gentiles, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some, meaning I might win some to Jesus Christ. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Like Jesus and the other apostles, Paul did not care about what people thought in terms of breaking barriers. He said, to win people, I'm willing to become anything. Obviously, he was not compromising the gospel. Just to win them, he was not imitating them. His point was, I am not isolating myself from them. I am not insulating myself from them. Yes, I am taken out of the world, but I am going into the world. To the Jew, I will go. To the Gentile, I will go. To the weak, I will go. I don't care who it is. I will go, I will go, I will go to win them if possible for the sake of the gospel. I am not going to put my attention on people say what people think. And that's our problem many times. We are so fearful what people might say, people might think. We so protect our reputation. Not put the highest goal as the gospel. We expect unbelievers to behave in a nice way. Then we'll reach out to them. Did we behave in a nice way to Christ for Him to reach out to us? Bible says we were rebels. We were enemies. But yet we expect other unbelievers to behave in a certain way. Then we'll reach out to them. How wrong. How evil of us to put barriers. We talk about the Great Commission. We talk about Acts 1.8. But do we really believe that? If so, do our actions show that? Yes, sometimes we may have a, a, a natural uh, uh, affinity as well as a little easier to reach people of our background. And no, no problem with that. By all means, if there is a little more freer open door, we must use it. But we should not limit ourselves just to that. Whoever the Lord brings in our life, our pathway, we should say, I'm going forth. The gospel should transform our lives. Resolve in your heart to reach out and share the gospel to all kinds of people. Yes, of all races, where God has placed us here. You know, we have a mission field right here where we live. Are we faithful? It's one thing, you know, we have a great desire to support missionaries in different areas and praise God, you know. It's just wonderful. It's wonderful. And hopefully we'll do more. And that's great. But what about us here? The here and now. What are we doing? We need to be very careful that we don't develop a racist attitude within us. Yes, sometimes there might be some cultural fears. We don't know how to reach. But we'll ask Lord, for the strength. And be wise. Jesus asked a simple question. Can you give me a drink? Who would have thought just that one question brought an entire village to faith? Now, your, your and my question may not have an eternal impact, but it doesn't matter. We're just trying to build relationships. 
Be deliberate. Use the opportunities God gives. There's a lot of natural opportunities that come our way. Use it. Don't be afraid. If there's no response or they shut the door, that's okay. You cannot do anything. But are you deliberate about taking an effort? You know, that neighbor there, I've been seeing him. I've been seeing her. I've not even said hello. Or I've said hello, I've not done anything more. Why not invite them for a cup of coffee? Or just start a conversation. Maybe they have a kid. Just pull up a conversation. Something. Just to establish a contact. Because I want to win them. Not to myself. Not to my church. But to Jesus Christ. I want to win them to Christ. Church doesn't save. You don't save. Christ saves. Do we do that? Do we do that? It's important for us. Jesus broke barriers as a savior of the world. First of all, he had to break all the barriers that man had raised. God did not put the barriers. Man put barriers. He broke it. You got to break the barriers and only then you can offer them the living water. You cannot offer the living water if you're not willing to take that step. So for this morning, I want to challenge all of us. Why not we resolve in our hearts by the grace of God that we will do that. We'll step out in faith. We'll put the gospel ahead of everything, not people. And it was so-called God's people who were the barriers to God's work in this because it was the Jews who were doing all this. Sometimes it's God's people. Let me rephrase it. Professing God's people who are the stumbling block to God's work. Go all out for the gospel. You'll never regret it. Go for it. That's a cause that God will bless and God will be pleased Jesus pleased the Father. Apostles pleased Jesus. And we are to please Him as well. But maybe some of you here are like this woman, far away from God. You don't know the Savior. You think you know God. Because even she thought, hey, we worship too. Jesus had to break her false belief down to point her to the true way to become right with Him. Perhaps you are like that, thinking you're a Christian or you're saved, but you're not. You're not. Let me appeal to you. This morning, Christ is seeking you. Just as He came to seek that woman, He's seeking you as well. He's tugging at your heart. He says, come to me. Doesn't matter how bad you've been. Doesn't matter how much you've messed up. Doesn't matter how young you are. Doesn't matter how old you are. Come. Come to me. I have no problem what color you are, what language you speak, how much bank balance you have or not have, <laughs> what homes you live, what cars you drive. I care less, Jesus says. I care for you. A million years from now, I care for your soul. Come to me. And all you have to do is be willing to turn from your sinful ways and say, Lord, I believe you and you alone paid the full price for my sin. And I come to you. Take me. Take me and he will take you. And then he will change you in a way that you'll take this message to everyone. Will you embrace him as your savior? Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this opportunity. You remind us again and again that we are sent into this world. We are witnesses. Not witnesses only to the kind of people that we think we, are, we should be comfortable with, but witnesses to all people. Yes, Lord, we do live in a messed up world. But we are still messed up too, Lord. We grieve you off and yet you are so patient with us and you want us to be patient with others as well. God, I pray. I pray for the people 
who are here in this room this morning, including myself. Lord, remove all fears from us, Lord. Sometimes it is not just a, a, a negative attitude, but it's just fear that stops us, Lord, from uh, reaching out to people who might not be very familiar to us or uh, who might not be of our background. But God, please help us. You've given us a spirit of courage, not of fear. Help us to put the gospel above all things, Lord. Help us to be so focused, as Paul was so focused, I do all these things for the sake of the gospel, so that I might also partake of its benefits, the glorious blessings that come as a result of sharing in the gospel and giving it to others. And what a joyful life that is, Lord, when we just focus on you and not on people who might be barriers in actually reaching out to other people. Help us, Lord. Help us. And if there is any attitude in our hearts that actually is wrong because we look down on people of other races, oh God, forgive us. Help us to truly repent because we too, Lord, were like unclean before you, filthy, abominable. Yet you came, Lord, for us. You came for all kinds of people. May we also follow in those footsteps. First John 2, 6 says, those who say they're followers of Christ ought to walk like he walked. If you just want us to walk in those same footsteps, taking the gospel to everyone, please help us. And if there is any far away from you, woo them into your fold, Lord, by your love, by your mercy. Draw them to yourself just as you drew this woman to yourself. Help them to taste of you, get a taste of you, Lord. Then they will know there's nothing like it. Please, let that miracle the miracle of new birth happened this very morning. Thank you once again and as a church help us to be faithful witnesses to the kind of people, any kind of people you bring in our path. Please Lord give us a new perspective going forward from this day. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.